Well, as we prayed in that first round of prayer this morning, it was a review from last week's message. You guys remember Brad was up here and he talked about how God is faithful, right? I really appreciated that. I know in our gospel group we sort of uh, talked through, I thought we had a really good discussion there on Friday talking about how is God faithful and what does that mean and how have we seen that happen. And I really appreciate that thought from that verse Brad shared last week. He said, God is faithful even when we are not. It just totally runs contrary to how we think about the world and how we operate so often, right? We go, oh, well, that person, they wouldn't do that thing. They wouldn't be faithful, so I'm not going to be faithful to them. But God is faithful even when we are not. And so all this is going to tie in with today's message. And so as we've been going through this series on Know the Father, we're looking at these different character qualities of God. And today, you can see, as it says on the screen, we're going to be looking at one that's maybe slightly more negative. You might think, oh, that's kind of negative. He is jealous? Ah, oh, jealous. Ugh. That term probably has this very negative sound to you because we really live in a jealous culture, don't we? It seems like everything's, there's like all this spin, all this, uh, just all this like jealousy kind of around us. So I, I thought I'd go through just a few sort of examples and illustrations of that. And the first one <laughs> is this. Those of you who do not follow football, uh, that is the logo for the uh, New England Patriots. And of course, locally, we're not big fans. Most of us, Tanelli's not here today. She's our resident <laughs> Patriot fan, but most of us don't. But I thought I'd just mention, in football, this is the New England Patriots. And those of you who don't know, they are a really good football team. In the past 25 seasons, since 1994, I was going to ask Tanelli how old she is. This might be like her entire life. That's about her age. In 25 seasons, since 1994, they have made it to the playoffs. 20 of those 25 times. 20 of those 25 times, and that includes the last 10 straight and 15 of the last 16. You go, wow, that's a good football team. To be to go to the playoffs, to be that good, to make it there, you have to be good. They've also, each football group is divided into divisions. They have been the champion of their division in those 25 seasons 19 times. Nobody else in the league is even close to that. In fact, if you look through all of the NFL, there are three teams that in those 25 years have never won their division. And here's this team that's won it 19 times. In addition to that, they have played for the conference championship, to be the champions, to represent their conference in the Super Bowl 14 times in those 25 seasons. 10 times they've won. So 10 of the 25, almost half of the time, they've gone to the Super Bowl to represent their conference. And then of those times, those 10 trips to the Super Bowl, they've won six of them. So about one out of every two times they've gone and they've won the Super Bowl. Now, <laughs> exactly. If, this, if you were a Patriots fan, if Denali was here today, you'd say, what a time to be alive, right? For those who are not Patriots fans, Boo, right? Yeah. We're jealous. And we have a pretty good team here, right? I don't know. I'm sorry, you guys are Phoenix. I don't know if you're Cardinals fans. It's been up and down. But we have a pretty good team most of the time. It's been a little rough. 
they were all jealous. Nobody likes the Patriots because they were just jealous, right? And then, of course, you go, oh, but they're actually, you know, kind of kind and humble. No, they're not. Here's what their owner said. Envy and jealousy are incurable diseases. The haters still hate, and I understand it, and we will do our best to keep them in that position. That's why we love the Patriots. It's a lot of jealousy when it comes to things like football, but it can strike a little closer to home, too, right? Uh, does anybody here have a sibling? Have a sibling? I got a picture here. It's a picture of me uh, with my two sons. Nope. <laughs> That's my dad. I'm on the left. And there's my brother on the right. Yeah, that was in a, a previous decade. <laughs> Did you have a brother or a sister who seemed to have everything together? Is that your existence? That kind of was my existence. That's my older brother there. He's a couple years older than me. And growing up, it seemed like he just got everything right. He got straight A's without a whole lot of effort. He scored really high on his tests without a lot of effort. He was the valedictorian of our high school without a lot of effort. I remember he was so smart and so good at things. When he was a senior in high school, he spent the whole year and did an independent study on James Joyce. I don't know if any of you know who James Joyce is. Like, I can barely read one page of that and understand what's going on. And he read a whole, like, several books and wrote this whole thing. And his English teacher, who had been teaching for 40 years, said... I didn't even understand what he was writing about. That was my brother. He was good at sports. He lettered in two sports. And not from participation, he lettered because he was good at those things. It just seemed like everything he touched, he was good at. And then there was me, and I had one skill. Jealousy. <laughs> I tried to do everything. I, my life sort of started to mimic his, and I just was never quite as good at him. And I was just very jealous, and I, as I failed at those things. And so maybe that resonates with you. Or maybe you were the better sibling. I don't know. But you can understand, okay, jealousy can strike closer to home. And there's countless examples of jealousy in our world, but it's not just out there. It's right here. We think, oh, well, in Christianity, we would just be immune from that, right? And we are not immune from that. Because churches are in a constant mode of comparison. Right? I do a lot of work in my, uh, in, in my side job as an architect. I do a lot of work with churches. And I meet a lot of pastors. And I always try to graciously say, well, tell me about your church. And almost always, almost always, it's something about what we would say nickels and noses. How much money we make, how many people sit in the seats on a Sunday. And I understand that that's one way we can just sort of analyze and, and talk about, oh, that's you know how, how we compare. But it becomes this jealousy thing of I'm better than this, I'm better than this, or I wish my church was blank. And we can have a lot of jealousy even in the church world. And you may experience that too as you come in touch with other people who are part of other churches. And I just, being very candidly, I recognize I can easily fall into this mode too. Right? So jealousy just kind of pervades through everything and we sort of swim through these feelings and it just seems very yucky. And so then you step back and you go, okay, wait a second, Greg. You call this message, God is jealous? That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Isn't that bad? And I think when we think about it, when we look at the scripture, there's a couple verses we need to reconcile. First, when we go back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, and God himself is speaking, and he says, You shall not bow down to idols or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous 
God. Like, oh, wait a second, a jealous guy? I thought jealousy was bad. God said jealousy was bad. What about Galatians chapter 5? It is. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, sin, is evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Fits of anger, rivalry, dissension, dissensions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you see the contrast between these two verses? We go, wait a second, I have to reconcile this. On one hand, it seems like God is saying, I am jealous. And on the other hand, it seems like he's telling us, don't be jealous. Right? Did any of you have that experience growing up of a parent who said, do what I say, not what I do. Do you kind of feel like God is maybe saying that here? You go, wait, is he saying that? This is confusing. And it gets even more confusing because there's another verse in Exodus where God says, you shall worship no other God for the Lord whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. Whoa. God's name is jealous? Wow, I want to go back to like Handel's Messiah. Wonderful counselors, mighty goodness. Nope, I don't think jealous was in there. Why didn't Handel include jealous in his Messiah? That's one of God's names, is jealous. So, how can God tell us to not do what he is? How can he tell us to not do what his name is? Well, we're going to try to dive into that this morning. And I think this, in some ways, goes right to the heart of the problem so many people have with the Bible. And it's this problem. They go, man, it seems like there's two different gods. It seems like there's this Old Testament angry God who's jealous and he's the maker of laws and rules. And then there's the nice one who holds the sheep, right? The nice one, he's loving and compassionate. We see him in the New Testament and he's forgiving. Have you ever felt this way? It's okay if you do. Maybe you're here today and you're like, yeah, I kind of felt that way. Could you maybe explain that? Why is it like that? It's not like that. And we're going to learn about that today. And so to learn, we're going to review a little bit of what we've talked about in this series. So first off, what do we know about God? What have we learned about God? Well, one thing we've learned about him is that he's the same yesterday and today and forever. It says that in Hebrews chapter 13. And so we go, okay, there's not two different gods. It's the same God. It's the same one. Okay, so we know that's true. Let's talk about some of his qualities. First off, we know that God is holy. There in Leviticus 11.44, God himself says, I am the Lord your God. Be holy, for I am holy. God is holy. And holiness means Perfection. God is perfect. God is perfect. So if this is true, God is perfect. But then if he says that his name is jealous, then we go, well, that, that's, we have to reconcile those two things. We have to be able to reconcile this. It has to be some kind of righteous jealousy. It has to be some kind of perfect jealousy. It has to be some kind of holy jealousy. It's interesting. When we look at the Hebrew term, for jealousy, another way to define it is ardent zeal. I know those are some kind of big words. Ardent. Sounds like an old lady's name or something, right? Ardent zeal. Oh, we get zeal, right? But you can start to see that link, can't you? Zeal can make zealous. You just change the Z to a J and you get jealous, right? That's kind of where it's going. You go, oh, okay, so part of this jealousy is 
passion. It's about having passion, about having ardent zeal. What do you have passion for in your life? There's all kinds of things you can have passion for. Hopefully none of us here have passion for the New England Patriots. But you can have passion for all kinds of things. And so I was like, hey, let's go see what kind of books there are. And so I went to go to Amazon.com, which is still a place to buy books, even though you can get all your other stuff and your groceries and whatever there. And I looked and I was like, what are some books about passion for blank? Passion for blank. And I looked at them, and there's all kinds. You know, there's passion for love and passion for kindness. There's passion for Jesus. You can find some weird stuff like passion for steam. <laughs> okay, passion for steam. Interesting. Then I found one. I was like, wow, this is awesome. This is the actual cover. I have a passion for not cooking. I was like, this had to be a joke because the, no joke, the author's name is Alice Cooker. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> okay, you have passions for all kinds of passions for not things, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but I think that's where we get back into jealousy. Is passion. It's about passion. And what are you passionate for? So if God is jealous, it means God has an ardent zeal. It means that God is passionate. And not only is he passionate, he is perfectly passionate. What else do we know about God? We know that God is love. God is love. And he loves us with a perfect love. Ephesians 3.17. I love this. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. It's a big love. That is a big, perfect love. As he says, this love surpasses knowledge surpasses knowledge. That's God's love for us. What else do we know about God? As we talked about last week, God is faithful. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I appreciate so much the thoughts last week in Brad's message. But we put all this together. We put it all together and we come up with something like this. We say, wow, a perfect and a holy God perfectly loves us with a perfect passion in perfect faithfulness. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? What a God. What a God. So if we know that this is true, it follows that, well, if God is jealous, then God's jealousy is going to flow from this perfection. So if God loves us perfectly and is faithful perfectly, then he has established a right. He has a right to our affection. He has a right to relationship with us. But what do we know about us? We see all these things about God. What do we know about us? Well, we know that we are sinful. We are sinful. James 4.17, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That would be every single one of us. We know the right things to do, and we don't do them. So we're sinful. Our sin ruins everything. We ruin everything we touch. Our sin corrupts the world. You guys ever think about oxymorons? Kind of funny, you know, like two things that you put together that like don't work, right? Like jumbo shrimp or, uh, you know, working vacation. Um, but I, there's another one is uh, a perfect Christian. Have you ever heard, heard anyone say that or try to say that? Well, I'm not a perfect Christian. Well, that's an oxymoron because the fact that you are a Christian is a recognition at the very beginning that you are sinful, 
If you didn't recognize you were sinful, you wouldn't be a Christian. Right? That's what we say. Let us hold fast, fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. That's what it means. We go out. We're Christians. Yet, instead of having an ardent zeal, instead of having a passion for that which is right, what do we do? We actually kind of have a passion for that which is not right. We're sinful. We're broken. Instead of loving God, we love other stuff, other things. Another way to compare this sort of sense of righteous jealousy and unrighteous jealousy. God's jealousy with our jealousy. Righteous jealousy that God has is reacting to not getting what is rightly due to you. On the other hand, unrighteous jealousy is reacting to not getting what you don't have. And of course, that latter really has another term to describe it. A couple terms. Coveting or envy. Coveting or envy is reacting to not getting what you don't have. And I wonder if maybe that's what's happened in our cultures, that we've taken the term jealousy and applied it where we should use the term coveting, where we should apply to use the term envy, right? So you got your friends, and they go to Disney World. You go, oh, they got to go to Disney World? I don't know if anyone's ever been to Disney World. It's a pretty amazing place, right? They get to go to Disney World. I am so jealous. That's what we'd say. Because I think it doesn't sound so good to say, oh, my friends, they got to go to Disney World? I covet what they want. What they have, right? It doesn't sound so good, but that's really what we're saying. That's really where we are. And of course, you know where I have to go in my favorite movies. Love this. Have you ever seen Napoleon Dynamite? She's like, just very, I want that. Right? That's how we are. I want that. We're just selfish. We just covet. That's really what our jealousy is. It's an unrighteous jealousy. It's just this sort of naked, oh, I just want it. I want that. That's where we're at. The book of James, chapter 4, it says, yeah, we are covetous. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So here's God, and God is perfect, and he is holy, and he's perfectly loving us with a perfect passion and a perfect faithfulness. And what do we do? What is our response? We respond by following our sinful passions. We covet, we fight, we argue, we ruin everything we touch. That's where we see that difference between those two. And so in the face of our own sinful corruption, how can we really understand God's righteous jealousy? It's just like, well, if I just break everything and everything's broken, how do I even understand? Well, I believe God's given us a picture of it in our life. He's given something to us as a picture of what it means and where we can be righteously jealous. And that picture is in marriage. In marriage, we all would agree, a husband and a wife bind each other together. They get bound together in a covenant, an agreement. They agree to give their love to themselves and only 
to each other. That's where they are. And if they make this agreement, right, and we all would universally agree, whether you follow God or you're an atheist, you'd say, yeah, you've made this bond, you've made this agreement. If one of you goes after another or seeks an outside love or someone else is coming in, then that other person, that other person in the marriage has a right to be what? Jealous. They have a right. And that is righteous jealousy. Why? Because under the agreement that is their right. And so we can see this with God and we can see this in his relationship with us because he loved us perfectly and he created us for relationship with him. But in our sin, we go the wrong way. We give our love to other things and other stuff. And another way we can put that is that we offer our worship to things that are not God, to things that are not worthy of our worship. And so I think that's applicable even today as we think about not singing and it's just a chance as we do something different and we're exercising those different muscles to say, man, where is my heart with all of this? Where is my heart when it comes to worshiping God? So I hope maybe you'd even take that moment today and this week as you ponder this to think about this because we can even do Christian stuff, stuff that seems to be good, stuff that seems to be biblical, but we can do it with the wrong motivation. And our hearts can be in the wrong place. And when we do that, we're worshiping something else while we're pretending to worship God. So let me ask you, how are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? Take some time this week to think over that and pray over that. And so as we get to closing here, let me come back to that idea of how do we reconcile these two gods? Hell, they're not two gods, right? Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How do we reconcile these two things? Well, when we understand God's jealousy as being, oh, it's righteous and good and perfect, and it's not coveting, it's not coveting, then it's not sin, then it is good. That means that that God is not a selfish, angry, coveting God. He loves you and he loves me. God is not wanting that which he doesn't have a right to. God is not wanting something that he doesn't have a right to, that he just wishes he could have and he couldn't. He has a right to it. He has a right to it because he made us. He made us and so he has that right and that should be enough. That ought to just be enough right there and say, yep, well he made me so I should worship him. But he's gone further than that. He's gone further than that and he said, hey, I'm going to establish a covenant with you. I'm going to establish a covenant with you. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 10, God said, behold, I am making a covenant. And he's talking to Moses. He says, before all your people I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. See, God is making this covenant with Moses. This is a point in the story where Moses has gone up on Sinai and received the Ten Commandments on the stone and he comes down and the people are worshiping the idol and he breaks it apart and now he's back. He's come back to Sinai and God's like, I'm going to make this covenant with you. I'm making a covenant. I will do marvels. And we could say, well, this is for the Israelites, but it was God making a covenant with all people, with you and with me. 
He says, I will bless you. I will do marvels. I will work among you. And so from this we get the Ten Commandments. And in our culture, I know, we tend to think of the Ten Commandments as do's and don'ts and thou shalt's and thou shalt not's. But really, the Ten Commandments is the greatest summation of all morality ever written, ever created. And so we don't want to think about God as like, oh, an Old Testament God is all about rules, he's all about obedience, he's all about punishment, he's a mean God. No, we don't. Because he's given us the summation of commandments and we have to say, okay, he's given us this thing and it's a covenant, but what is the covenant based on? What is it based on? Is it about rule following? Is it upon cramping your fun? Keeping you from doing the stuff you want to do? Ruining your life? Is God just being selfish? Is God just coveting something he can't have and so he's made up all these rules that we have to follow? No, that's not it. And if you go back in this passage, just a couple verses, I love it. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, what? Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's the God who's making a covenant and he's basing his covenant upon what? Mercy. Slowness to anger. Abounding love. Isn't that cool? God gives us these rules. He gives us the Ten Commandments, the summation of morality. And he does it, why? Because he loves us. Because he's merciful. And he does it so we can have a guide by which we can fully experience the blessings he has for us. So doesn't that sound the same as that God of the New Testament who shows love and compassion and forgiveness? God gives us the covenant of the Ten Commandments because of his love and his mercy. And here's something cool. If you go back to that passage and God says, I'll establish this covenant for you, Moses. What is Moses' response? What is his immediate response? He quickly bows his head and worships. Is that your response? Is that your response to God? Let's check our hearts on that this week. So one last story from the New Testament that I think is going to tie it together that confirms the love and the mercy of God. And it's Jesus in John chapter 8. You're probably familiar with the story. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin... Cast the first stone. Let him be the one who is out sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. 
There's so much wisdom in this passage. There's so much in this story about how we should treat each other as it pertains to our mistakes and our sin. We're all sinful. We're all broken. We ruin everything. And we all have to relate to each other. And there's really great wisdom and understanding to be got from this passage that tells us how we should relate to each other. But let's look carefully at what Jesus does. Jesus is God. Jesus is perfect. He is holy. He is love. He is faithful. In this situation, what does he have a right to? This woman's affection. This woman's obedience. This woman's worship. He has a right to it. But what has she done? She's offered her worship to something else. She's run after another lover. Just like all of us. Just like us, every single one of us should see ourselves in her shoes or her sandals or whatever she was wearing on her feet. At that moment, we go, that's me. That's me. Jesus, in this case, has a righteous jealousy, doesn't he? He could say, she owes her worship to me. She owes her worship to me. She's broken the covenant with me. But how does he respond? How does he respond? He says, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone. Well, who in that circle was without sin? Jesus. He was the only one. Nobody else was without sin. Jesus was without without sin. Jesus was the one who had the right to be jealous, the right to cast the stone and condemn her. And he didn't. Why? Because of his mercy and his compassion and his forgiveness. Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. Jesus forgives her sin and points her back to worship. And he does that with you, and he does that with me. And he says, hey, sinner, I don't condemn you. Go back and sin no more. So this week, as you're, as you're pondering here, I'll close with this. Let's, let's together as a church consider what it means for God to be jealous, for God's name to be jealous. You could even pray this week and say, Dear Jealous, thank you. (laughs) You could use that name. It is a good name. It is a right name because He's owed our worship. He is. It is due to Him. And in His jealousy, He offers us mercy and forgiveness. And so together, that would be my encouragement to you is let's turn towards God in worship of all those things we do. Remember, worship takes place in everything. It's not just singing here. It's in what you do every day, and it's especially in your heart and in your attitude. So in this series, every week we've put up some homework. And that's your homework this week, is turn to God in worship in all that you do. Amen? All right, we'll pray and be done here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You are jealous. Jealous is your name. And that is right. And that is true. And there is no sin in that. There is no coveting God because our worship is due to you and you alone. And yet every single one of us, every single one of us, runs after other love, after other gods, and we give our worship to other stuff. And yet, in the midst of that, you've offered forgiveness You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. 
And all we have to do is receive that free gift. Thank you, Lord, for giving that free gift to us. Help us this week, Lord, as we walk through our days, our weeks, our moments, moment by moment. Help us to turn our hearts to worship you instead of other stuff. Help us to remember. Help us to remember that you are the only one who's worthy of worship. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.